Hey, Understand South Carolina listeners, we're excited to announce something new we'll be providing. Along with our regular episodes, we'll now have Understand South Carolina pop-up podcast. These episodes will provide quick analysis of major breaking stories as they occur. For our first episode, politics editor Skylar Croft and senior politics reporter Caitlin Bird discussed Tim Scott's May 22nd announcement, which we now know will be his official entry into the 2024 presidential race. I'm Eric Russell, and this is Understand South Carolina. Hi, I'm Caitlin Bird. I'm the senior politics reporter at The Post and Courier. And I'm Skylar Croft. I am the political editor at The Post and Courier. My boss. <laughs> so we've got a really busy week coming up next week. Um, surprise, surprise. The worst kept political secret in South Carolina. We have learned that Tim Scott is going to be announcing his bid for the presidency, seeking the Republican nomination. Well, let's talk about Tim. You know, everyone in Charleston has known him since the 1990s when he came on the scene and ran for county council. Lowly job. Um, I remember covering some of the county council meetings and he'd look like a train hit him. He looked exhausted. He looked tired. I can't remember the issues, but, you know, believe it or not, you work hard on county council trying to get nine people wrangled. Um, he doesn't look stressed as a senator. I, you know, he, he's a good public speaker. He knows the issues. He doesn't give interviews in, in the hallway. We know who Tim Scott is. Tell me now that he's running for the White House. How does the rest of the world know and get to know Tim Scott? Yeah, I mean, to your point, most people do know him as a sitting U.S. senator. And most people, for most people, he stands out in that, in that upper chamber because he is the only black Republican senator who is legislating up in Washington. He only goes to the Senate floor when he feels compelled to speak, but he has been speaking more frequently on a national level, especially when he gave the Republican response to Joe Biden's first address, joint address to Congress. That may be really one of the true first major national introductions that people have had with him. Um, and he got up there on national television. Republicans widely cheered for what he said. Um, he's rejected the idea that America was a racist country. And that's especially powerful when those words are coming out of the mouth of a man who was raised in the Deep South as a black man, the son of a single working mother who had a minimum wage job working as a nurse's aide, which is a brutal job. It's it's really not for the faint of heart, but most people know Senator Scott now as Senator Tim Scott. They also know him probably during the Trump years because he was one of the few senators who would at times speak out against President Donald Trump. But again, you know, it gets back to what you saw on county council is he's very intentional about when he speaks. And so he's always very deliberate about what issues to speak out on. And especially during the Trump years, he was forced more often than not um, to really be the Republican voice of conscience on race relations in America. And it's so interesting that that's what happened, because that is something that he said when he first ran for political office, that he never never wanted to do that. He never wanted to be the black Republican. He was a Republican who happens to be black. Well, I mean, it's, it's very easy to do that as a senator. How do you translate that 
into a White House run. Okay, I know your story, Tim. I've heard it before. We know it in Charleston. You can give that speech in Iowa. You can give that speech in New Hampshire. But after the third or fourth time, tell me what are your credentials then to become the president of the United States and, and to win in a national Republican race? You know, what do you do to, to say, I am the one? Yeah, and I think that's going to be his biggest challenge. And it's interesting because in speaking with, you know, his senior campaign aides, they really think that that's the, the magic sauce. That's the special thing about Tim Scott is that unlike any other Republican who is expected to get into this Republican presidential race or those who are already in, is that Tim Scott has this really special, affable, authentic ability to connect conservative values to his personal life story. So they see, you know, the way that he's going to make his case to the American people and first to Republican primary voters is not only why he's a conservative, but how being a conservative has made his life better. And so he's going to be making this more personal, more positive pitch, which is really going to stand in contrast to the likes of Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, should he get in the race. But at the same time, you know, you raise a really good point. It raises the question about whether or not, you know, even if Tim Scott talks about these personal stories and his life and how it connects to policy in a way that can be really meaningful. You know, we've seen that before, that when someone can talk about policy in a way that brings it down to the human level, that is something really unique and special. And it's not just talking in wide political platitudes. But how do you do that without getting drowned out by those louder, more callous, more caustic voices? I just I just don't know how that's going to go. And the other reason why I don't know how that's going to go is because Senator Tim Scott really hasn't had a difficult political race in quite a long time. And we haven't seen him on a debate stage in what, in decades? Yeah. So how, how do you fight for that lane? And what is that lane? And, you know, I was going to hold off on talking about this, but, you know, Donald Trump is lurking. Somehow he's got to get through Donald Trump, around Donald Trump, make friends with Donald Trump or catch flack from Donald Trump. So what is his lane? Um, I mean, Tim Scott's a nice guy. He can say this, he can say that, but eventually he's got to come out of his shell and show some fire. Right. And and the one preview that we're getting so far, remember, it's still super early. He hasn't even technically announced yet what he's going to do, but we all know that he will be announcing a run for president. Uh, one thing that has been hinted at in his speeches is that he is planning to go after not only the left, not only Democrats for their focus on identity politics and grievance politics, but he's also planning to do that on the right. So that to me suggests that he is going to be willing to go after Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and saying, hey, this kind of more negative talk is not going to work. I don't know what exactly his pitch is going to be, how he's going to punch back, but his campaign keeps telling us that just you wait, Tim Scott is going to put on those boxing gloves. He is going to fight. And I I think, you know, I look back to that Senate floor speech that he gave after the police reform bill failed. That's the speech that I go back to because he went up there. He had no notes in front of him and he spoke at that well for more than 30 minutes. And you can see the anger and you can feel the passion and you can feel the hurt. And I think that, you know, Tim Scott, more than anyone else in his caucus, has to navigate the optics of how he talks. And that's very unfortunate in American politics because he doesn't want to come across as the angry black man. But when he is upset, when he is angry, he makes it known and he makes it very personal. He makes it in a very passionate way. And I look to that speech potentially as a blueprint for when he raises his voice, he may not be yelling, but he will be, you know, castigating the people who he disagrees. 
disagrees with. Well, the other thing in, in that too is interesting in that he takes on a lot of domestic issues. But if, if you look at the full pack of the Republican Party outside of Nikki's experience briefly as, as, as you know, ambassador at the UN, there's not a lot of foreign policy experience or or, or resume there. Uh, right. You know, t- Tim Tim does not play up. He's, he's not a world traveler. He doesn't take the war hawk position that Lindsey Graham is famous for. Um, it's just not part of his daily dialogue. I'm sure he has an opinion on all these things, but, you know, it's it's just not front and center of who he is as a senator. Well, and he is building, he's trying, he is, you could argue he's building that resume right now in real time. He's on the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee. So he is, you know, I am getting press releases now about his stance on Israel and his feelings on the war in Ukraine, where we know he's differed with President Trump. He made that clear during a GOP event recently in Greenville. So I think he will speak to that. The other piece, while it is not in the same vein at all, to your point as, uh, you know, a Lindsey Graham or even a, a Governor Haley, um, is that he does have some connections to military. So I'm curious if he's going to lean on that. Uh, his father was in the military. His brother, his older brother is in the military or was in the military. So he moved around, you know, he, he lived that, you know, that Air Force brat life. And so he has a sense, but that's certainly not the same as going on those codals and going across the world and seeing Afghanistan in real time. You know, it's just totally different. Well, there's also a club that he's part of as a candidate now is it's shaping up that he's going to be the only member of the Senate that runs. I mean, that's that's just an oddity. That is so fascinating because, you know, and you can speak to this more because you've been covering politics for longer than me. Wasn't it always kind of a presumption that when you were in the Senate, you were looking to the White House, that this was this was a clear like launch pad and you would use those Senate hearing committees hearings, you know, those Senate committee hearings to really make your point and even use that as kind of a platform to start, you know, making a case for why maybe you should be president. You know, the Senate was fertile ground for presidential hopefuls. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, again, has to do with Donald Trump. I mean, I think there's a number of Republicans are saying, you know, eh, not this year for me, maybe in four years, we'll try it then. But until Trump is out of the way or there is another someone in the crowd that, that rises up, I think there's gonna be a lot more sideline people. That leads to better endorsement chances. So we'll see what happens with that. And he is very, Senator Scott is very well liked among his Senate colleagues. I mean, you can read stories up and down in Washington, D.C., not even in my experience of reaching out to folks off the record and on background and not using any names. No one could give me a negative thing. They could not tell me a negative thing about Tim Scott. No one had an awful thing to say about him, which is really rare in politics to not have made some enemies during your time in Washington. And especially for someone like Senator Scott, who's been in the Senate since 2013 and who before then was in the House and came up um, during that Tea Party wave. So the fact that he came up on the Tea Party wave and still doesn't have like political enemies publicly to his name, you know, it, it really raises some questions about, wow, is he he really that nice of a guy? And then the other argument I've heard from folks is, well, if you've been up there long enough and you haven't made enemies, does that mean you've really put skin in the game? And that's a good question and I can't answer it. But to your point about uh, the foreign policy experience, you know, you could also argue that 2016 showed us that that kind of traditional political resume doesn't matter anymore. 
Well, it also kind of plays into in there's a, there's a lot of isolationism in the Republican Party, which, which kind of tends to play out well in in the primary season. So maybe it's calculated that you know that's where he wants to be, and he'll he'll speak domestically. And again, it, it's going to be a, a war on the left from from the right this year. It it will, and and it's going to be really interesting to see how again how Senator Tim Scott you know carves out that lane when you're going to have someone like DeSantis who's really making that war that culture war argument where Tim really hasn't been doing that so much. But when he does go there, he really speaks to it from a personal perspective that makes it maybe a little bit more palatable for independents and people who might be looking for an alternative to Donald Trump or people who might even been looking looking for an alternative to Joe Biden. Well, it also, again, looks like a Southern affair for for the Republicans. Asa Hutchinson is in from Arkansas. You've got two from South Carolina with Nikki Haley and Tim. You've got two from Florida with Donald Trump and DeSantis. I mean, does the fact they're both from South Carolina, um, Governor Haley and Senator Scott, does that really matter in terms of, of, you know, the vote? I mean... Voters are going to do their message, right? They're not going to say, you know, he's from South Carolina, so I'm going to vote for him if you're a South Carolina voter. Well, and and there's there's just something interesting to say about this because, you know, Tim Scott was just reelected in 2022. So we're not even, what, six months removed from his reelection bid where he won by just massive, massive double digit margins. So that means that, you know, by and large, most of the Republican primary voters who go to vote in South Carolina are going to see his name. And not only are they going to see his name, but they just voted for him. <laughs> I mean, that's a really unique, you know, kind of uh, bargain right there to be making is you see a familiar name on a presidential primary when not even, you know, a year and a half ago, you were voting the guy back to the Senate. Uh, the other thing is that you think about the way that those early states play out. I think we have to remember that before Tim Scott can come home to, you know, South Carolina, he also has to really make his case to voters in Iowa, where he's probably going to make a very strong play with evangelical voters there because Tim Scott is someone who is very much like a person of faith. He is very quick to quote Bible verses from memory, not just, you know, Matthew 2, 5, but he'll give you the whole verse right then and there on the spot. I can't do that. <laughs> but he he really thrives. He really thrives with retail politics. That's the point I want to get to, because the contours of these early states really could lend themselves to someone like Tim Scott, who gets energy from talking directly with voters. Ron DeSantis does not. Ron DeSantis does not really enjoy the rope line. Nikki Haley really does enjoy the rope line, but Tim Scott relishes in the people. He will abandon a platform or a podium to walk around the room. Uh, So TV cameras, get ready because wherever you put your white spot on the floor, he's not going to stick with it. Um, But if he is able to make that personal pitch, which really seems to be foundational to how they see a path to victory and how he sees a path to victory is by the time he gets to South Carolina, if he gets to South Carolina, he has been making that personal pitch to these other states. And now he's going to be back in friendly territory where people know him. People here in South Carolina know Nikki Haley, but we've had a lot of folks move to South Carolina since Haley was Governor Haley. Tim Scott has been in the Senate since 2013. Well, he's also 
polling right now in single digits. And I've always thought that if you don't have much of a chance, it's really easy to run for president because you know, you're not using your money. You're using money that someone gave you. There are just oodles of free media in terms of showing up at the pancake breakfast in Iowa or even more pancakes, New Hampshire, or this debate or that forum or this fire station. So is he doing this as a political hobby or does he really believe that he is going to end up in the White House when all is said and done? I think he really believes it. He's a guy. Guy who who journals and uh, I have it on good authority that this has been in that dream journal for quite some time in his life. Um, and you mentioned the free media, but the other dynamic that we haven't talked about yet with Tim Scott that's worth mentioning is he is flush with cash. He is going to be entering this presidential race with more money than almost anyone else. The only person who may have more money is Donald Trump, but he's a a former president who has a large war chest and also has pretty deep financial pockets uh, in his personal life. But Tim Scott is going to enter this race with enough money that if he wanted to, he would have enough money from the day he announced on May 22nd all the way to the Iowa caucus. He could be on TV every single day from now until then. And he has the money right now before he even gets that surge of money that we traditionally see after you actually announce that you're running for president. So just that bank that he enters with, and that's not counting the PAC dollars he has access to as well, where he's had people like Larry Ellison of the CEO of Oracle giving millions and upon millions of dollars to him. He is a donor class favorite. And so if he continues to get that money, you know, it's an ugly truth, but it's a real reality that money is the lifeblood of a campaign. So if he can keep making the case and if he keeps having money to run, I mean, he can run. You know, 18 months ago or some, you know, in the past there, you know, he confirmed just like you know, all the other Republicans, leading Republicans, that they would not challenge Donald Trump or run if Trump were run. Well, that's changed. So now he's in. What is his plan then to take on Trump? Is he going to be eternally polite or ignore him? At some point, Trump will say something that he will have to take an issue with. That's the million dollar question is how do you take on Donald Trump? You know, we still haven't got that answer from Nikki Haley. But also it is interesting because this go round, it seems so far that Donald Trump is more focused on being Donald Trump toward Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is Ron to sanctimonious. Nikki Haley is still nicknameless. Tim Scott, I, I'm curious to see how fast he'll get a nickname or if he gets a nickname at all. And it it is interesting because in some of his interviews leading up to this moment, Tim Scott has said things like, oh, there's not much difference between me and Donald Trump, which that's a very difficult sell when primaries are by default. You know, these are contests of contrast. So if he's arguing that the policy between him and Trump isn't going to be all that different, but that the messenger is going to be different. I don't know how that lands with Republican primary voters. Why why get the message and not the man? But then at the same time, when the man is Donald Trump, who has been a pretty polarizing figure for the Republican Party, maybe it is time to get a different standard bearer who is pushing similar policies, but delivers it in a different way. Uh, but at the same time, you know, to say that the person who most Republicans see as being that Trump standard bearer who's not Trump is not Tim Scott. Skyler, you mentioned covering him during his Charleston County Council days. Talk to me a little bit more about who Tim Scott was when he was 
a no name when no one really knew who he was. And when the Charleston County Republican Party and the state Republican Party bet big on someone that they'd never heard of. It was really just an odd time because, you know, the, the state was transitioning still from Democrat to Democrat to Republican. And uh, he, he arose and said that he wanted to run as a Republican. It drew national Republicans to his cause. Uh, Newt Gingrich, um, you know, gave him money from his pack. And then he, uh, you know, he won. He won as this, you know, Charleston was transitioning. So, uh, yeah, and I think Newt Gingrich actually may have given to him when he was running for a state legislative seat. Right. But before then, when he was running for Charleston County Council, it was the state Republican Party maxed out. And they had never done that before, right? Like they'd never given the maximum out for a Charleston County council seat. Yeah. Well, again, Charleston was last to join the Republican wave. I mean, it was all Democrats down here. Uh, Charlie Condon, who was our solicitor, was a Democrat at the time. So a lot of people uh, you know, were changing over then, too. So the, the wave was slow to get down here from Greenville. So and that, that's the time when the, when the party was really just growing. And, he, you know, he was part of that wave. Um, black, white, blue. He was part of it. Yeah. And it's interesting because when we go back into our, our archives here, because, you know, we have pictures of Tim Scott shaking hands with Jack Kemp, who became a vice presidential presidential pick with uh, with Dole, if I'm remembering correctly. And you don't see Tim Scott in the front. Uh, you see his back, but he's identified in that cut line. And there he is shaking hands. And Alan Keyes came down shortly after Tim Scott was elected to Charleston County Council. So even from the very start of his political career, you know, it seemed that there was this national recognition that there could be something special about this guy. And that's something that just has always been really fascinating to me about how quickly he got on that national radar. Well, you had the Reagan years, you had the Bush years, the Republicans were taking over, and he was just exactly the minority they were looking for at the time. You know, he served his time on county council. Again, I think he worked rather hard because you had nine people pulling in different directions here. Some of the most political boards around here are the school boards followed by county council. So he he did have to work. There were issues that kept him busy. But then, you know, it, it was a quick move to the state house. lost one seat against Robert Ford, came back, tried again, was in the state house briefly, talked about running for lieutenant governor, ran for Congress, and then the Senate seat opened up. So he's held every elective office there is from the county level up. So Except for governor, yeah, yeah, which a lot that. of people thought he was going to run for, which speaks to the, the interest that people have had in him since he started running for office. Yeah, and there's still, that's a possibility. I mean, let's say he does not make it to the White House. Um, you know, I, I think he still has his eye on that where he would do quite well. I mean, I, I don't think that's written off yet. Well, and Tim Scott is someone who we certainly expect is going to be running really hard uh, as a capital C conservative. Uh, one of the things that I think of when uh, looking at his track record of those bona fides is the 10 commandments county council lawsuit. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What happened? Because uh, this speaks to Tim Scott as a conservative, but as a Christian conservative as well. Well, I, that was wokeism before wokeism. So he was going to fight for that on the wall and have the Ten Commandments there no matter what. It cost a lot of money to defend that suit. But, it, you know, it was it was a line in the sand uh, that you know got us to where we are today, where the confer- conservative movement is anti-woke. That was anti-woke 20, 30 years ago. That's so interesting because that that was also at a time when other elected officials who are Republicans, particularly in the Deep South, were doing similar things, were putting up Ten Commandments in public spaces and government buildings. So it's just 
It's so interesting. But when we we think about Tim Scott and, and what has shaped him as a person, you know, in addition to his conservative politics, you know, to me, like two names really come to mind. And that's one, his mother, Francis, and two, this white guy named John Moniz. Um, John Moniz was a Chick-fil-A operator uh, who worked in the same shopping center where Tim Scott worked at a movie theater at Northwoods Mall in North Charleston. And Tim Scott would go every day to that Chick-fil-A and he talks about this on the stump. And I expect he will talk about this as well when he's running for president. Um, but he would go every day and he would order fries and water. Uh, that was his go-to order, fries and water. And one day John asked him, you know, why don't you get a sandwich? And he said, that's all I, that's all I can afford. And so from then on, John Moniz would cover the cost of lunch. Scott would get a sandwich, but then John took him under his wing, so to speak, and this mentorship relationship began. And John was in the Air Force. He was a Citadel grad, and he was a deeply Christian conservative guy. And so he started really taking Tim under his wing and really sort of instilling this idea in him that, you know, as, as a black kid who grew up poor in North Charleston, that, you know, for so long, Tim thought the only way out of that life was going to be on a football scholarship. He was going to go to the NFL. Like that was the dream. He thought this was the only way out. And this was the only way that he was going to be able to afford to buy a house for his mother one day. Um, and John kind of planted the idea that you can think your way out of poverty and maybe you should consider entrepreneurship. And that's actually what ends up happening to Tim Scott. He went to college first on a partial football scholarship at Presbyterian College. He started thinking about maybe going into seminary, but he ended up coming back home and going to Charleston Southern and studying political science. He was also like a salesman at the time going door to door. And he worked in like a men's suit shop at one point as well. There's also, you know, the stereotypical view of, of what a Republican candidate looks like today. I mean, he, he's opposite of that in that he was a very bad student, a product of the public schools, minimum wage jobs, did not go to Ivy League schools, succeeded, had a mentor outside the family, uh, came from a broken home in, in terms of, of the father disappearing. So it's it's different in that fashion. Yeah. And I'll even say, too, um, that he's also different as well in the black Southern tradition that typically down here, you know, it has been said to me and I grew up in the South as well. But what is it? 10 o'clock on a Sunday is the most segregated hour. It's this idea that the churches here are so are very much separated by race. Tim Scott does not go to a black church. He goes to an overwhelmingly white, non-denominational Christian church in Mount Pleasant, which is really an affluent area down here in the Charleston area. So Tim Scott really is someone who breaks the mold and he is getting much more comfortable. And I think we're going to see it more as he makes this White House bid official that he's going to lean into that idea that his life disproves the lies, quote. That's what he says. My life disproves their lies when referring to Democrats and their preconceptions about what a black man should be, what he should be voting for, because we do see, especially in the South, not always, but the data does show, does bear out that black voters do tend to vote for Democrats. And I, have a, I know we're going to wrap up soon, but I have one story I have to tell that the it really goes to the heart of his Republican credentials. And he is anti-union. Yes, he very is. Much so. Very and, much. And I remember covering, there was a rally um, at Harrell Square where he had his office, I believe, when he was in Congress. And there were a number of union people out there demonstrating. Tim Scott came out. It was a very hot day. He was wearing an open shirt, sweating through it. And there was, the, it was a, it was a very tense moment when I thought it almost 
else was going to come to blows between him and the union organizer. He was a young man in his career. I don't know if it was a hot day or was a hot head, but I just remember that story. It's always stuck with me. Wow. I can't imagine him even coming that close. Yeah, it was it was yeah, it was a large crowd. We were by a busy highway. I forget what the union issue was, but it had something to do with something that was going in Charleston. And uh, Tim was not going to be intimidated. He was there, a few staffers and a large crowd of union people. Well, maybe that's the preview for what we could see on the debate stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there's some fire there. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, th- I think he's become a little bit more mature and more relaxed, but that was just an odd thing to see from an elected member of Congress. Mm-hmm. And I did mention that there's another figure who's definitely going to play big in his life and, and in this campaign, and that's Francis. Francis got his mother. She raised him uh, as a single mom working as a nurse's aide. Sometimes she'd be working 16-hour days. Uh, sometimes Tim would go home and turn on the light switch, and there was no electricity because the power bill hadn't been paid because they couldn't afford it. So she is almost always there. She's going to be in the front row. She has just recently retired from her work in the hospital. So I anticipate that we will see Miss Francis hitting the road when she feels up to it. But, you know, Tim Scott is a single man. He is not married. You know, just speaking again to breaking the mold, he is a conservative who believes strongly in uh, family Christian values, yet he is a single unmarried man with no children. That, that plays into the ease of running for president. Uh, it does make it easier. He doesn't have a dog yeah, either. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I try, you can live in a suitcase. It's just, you know, your staff does the work. Right. But it also means there's been a lot of personal sacrifice for him to make it to this point. And that's part of why when you ask and when there other people ask me, you know, is he for real? Is he really making a run at this? Like Tim Scott had hoped to be married by the time he was 30. That didn't happen because it's really hard to date and be in this kind of public office. And right now it's it's got to be almost impossible to date if you're going to be running for president. But there's also security in what he's doing is running because, you know, he does not have to give up his, his Senate seat. So he, he can follow through for the next year. He's got five or so years left in his term so he can continue to serve. He says this is going to be his last term. He'll still be a young man. There's opportunity ahead. Oh, yeah. And opportunity is his favorite word. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time he said opportunity, I'd have a lot of money. <laughs> That's all for this pop-up episode. Follow and subscribe to The Post and Courier for more coverage. And also, if you would like to follow more politics across South Carolina, sign up for our Palmetto Politics newsletter. Thanks for listening.